How about now? Yeah. One of these days I'll figure out how to use this thing. Also, the one of the secretaries of house to house, Kelly, who found out she had Kelly Sewell, who found out she had cancer uh, several weeks ago. Uh, she has had surgery and she has now gotten the results back from that. They feel that they've gotten all the cancer and uh, it has not spread to the lymph nodes. She is going to go under uh, radiation, but please keep her uh, in your prayers and she's hopeful uh, that she will be uh, cancer free. Uh, and I'm excited because it's July 3rd and I love July 4th and Christy was a, a bicentennial baby. She was born July 9th, 1976, which is the, the bicentennial of our country. So you can figure out how old she is from that if you really want to get me in trouble. Uh, but we love July 4th and, and we're excited uh, to celebrate the birth of our nation tomorrow. Today I want to talk to you about golden rule guided decisions. Is it up there? It's not up there. That's all right. There it is. Uh, in Matthew 7 and verse 12. Uh, and we're going to look, if you want to turn to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we'll look throughout the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount today as we talk about this rule. The golden rule, of course, is not the that whoever has the gold makes the rules. That's how the world seems to view it lately, but that's not uh, indeed what it is. The golden rule is something that most of us have been taught our whole lives. As children growing up, we're, we're told to treat others as you would want to be treated. But what I find is that although that's a simple rule, it's simple to understand, it's, it's often quite difficult to implement, to practice Today I want to talk to you about that and look at the golden rule and how we apply it as we make decisions in our life. And first I want to say something about uh, about how the world sees things. And we, Kathy and I were talking about this just a few minutes ago. But as Christians, we live our lives by an objective standard. The object standard is the Bible, right? We live our lives according to the word of God that he's given to us. We believe that there is concrete truth and that whether you believe in the truth or not, that doesn't change the truth. The truth is still the truth, right? We believe that. The world does not believe that. and The world is becoming more and more subjective where they believe even things that we have thought forever or hard and fast rules are not. They believe that everything is fluid, everything is subjective. You can be uh, whatever it is you want to be, and everybody should just accept that all the time because it's a subjective world. It's a confused and sad and angry world. And we find ourselves not fitting in into that world anymore because our, our home is in heaven, and that's the world that we're headed to, but the truth is that you are going to serve somebody, right? It's going to happen. We're going to live our lives set to some standard or rule, some purpose, whether that's intentional or not, whether you believe that or not, you are going to live your life according to one set of rules or another. People either set up principles to guide their life by, 
or they have them set up for them, right? Some feel that they are free because they are living in this subjective world. But they are not free. They are prisoners to sin. They are slaves to Satan. But one of the great dichotomies of Christianity, one of the things that doesn't seem to make sense in Christianity is that when you serve somebody else, you're actually benefiting and serving yourself. You're actually helping yourself, your mental and physical world when you serve and help somebody else. But when you serve just yourself, when you live for yourself and and do things just for yourself, you often end up hurting yourself, right? Isn't that a strange thing? But that's how it is. And that's what Christianity teaches us to do, is to do for others. Some of these rules that govern different lives, some of these rules that people have set up have different names that people have given them. One of them is the iron rule. The iron rule is do unto others whatever you want to do, or do unto others as you would not have them do unto you, or do unto others first before they do it unto you. Those are some of the ways that rule is stated. But it's really just to do unto others whatever you want. This is the rule of the dictator, of the communist regime, of the bully on the schoolyard. It is, by force, I will do whatever I want. Might makes right. I will keep you down and keep you suppressed. And we see this rule exercised whenever there is racism, whenever there is any kind of discrimination taking place. And it's sometimes a response to how we've been treated by others. Sometimes we exercise this rule because we've been mistreated by others. And so we see that 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 worked for that person, that got them ahead, and so we're going to do that to other people. The idea that might makes right. And this is addressed in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 6 and verse 24, it says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, And love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and money. Right? Mammon. Alright. That's the iron rule. You can't set up money as your God and serve and work to it and, and serve God. You can't just pursue the things of this world. There's a a second rule. It's a little less, less harsh than the iron rule, but it's the brass rule. This is, this is do unto others as they do unto you. This rule is stated in the Code of, of Hammurabi. It's stated as the governing rule, really, of the Old Testament. The, the idea in terms of punishment, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That comes out of Leviticus chapter 24, uh, verses 19 through 21. And on the surface, this rule seems fair. It seems fair because you're balancing the scales, right? Somebody did something bad to you, you do something bad back to them. If they do something good for you, you do something good for them. But in fact, what ends up happening, and we see this in the Middle East, right? They've been in conflict for hundreds, thousands of years, right? And they just keep doing things to each other because this is the rule governing them. It's... The brass rule. If you do something to me, I'm going to do it back to you. 
And there's no forgiveness, right? So what happens is a continued escalation where one side sees that you did something bad to me. I'm going to do something bad back to you. That'll balance the scale. But the other side says that it's not justifiable. You did something worse to me. Now I'm going to do something worse to you. And it just escalates. And you see it play out in global powers like the Middle East, but it also plays out that way in our offices and with our our friends and with our families. This escalating of getting back at people, doing unto others as they do unto you. People have this balance concept when it comes to heaven and hell. If you do more good than evil, then you're going to go to heaven. But that's not how it works, and you cannot balance the scales. Jesus also addresses the brass rule directly in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 38, you have heard that it's been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him also the other. This also incorporates what's called the silver rule. And that's don't do unto others what you don't want them to do to you. This rule is about omission of action. We simply don't, we're not going to take retaliatory action towards somebody or act out towards someone in a way that we don't want them to act to us. It's a refusal to act, really. Sometimes this is, is mated with the idea of pacifism. Somebody's going to hit me, I'm not going to, to hit back. But while that can be a good guiding principle, in other words, we don't strike back, we're not seeking out revenge, it stops short of taking positive action towards someone in response to something negative. If somebody has done something evil or negative towards you, and you're going to take a positive response back to them. That's the golden rule. Jesus addresses this. He started addressing it there in uh, Matthew 5, verse 39. But then it follows uh, in verse 40. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asks thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. You have heard it said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So we see that all of these rules are talked about there in the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus says not to follow those rules, to follow the golden rule, right? Jesus teaches us that if somebody wants to sue us for our coat, give them the cloak too. If they want us to go one mile, go with them too and carry their load. If they strike us on our cheek, turn the other cheek to them. In response to negative action, do something positive. Go the extra mile, as we, we say. And he concludes it in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, where he states the golden rule. He's covered these other rules, but he states the golden rule in, Acts, in Matthew 7 and verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now we sum it up a little bit differently. Usually we say, do it to others, you would have them do 
unto you. But that's not exactly how it reads, and I want to I want to cover this in this way. Whenever you see this, there's a, a great guiding principle in Bible study, right? One of them has been drilled into me since I was little, and it served me well. And I'll drill it into you because I think it's it's very useful, and I'm sure you, many of you have heard it before. Which is, whenever you see the word therefore, you ask yourself what? What's it there for? Right? So why at the beginning of the golden rule does Jesus say therefore? Why is that there? We concentrate on the golden rule, but what has he just done? What is he summing up? Well, in this case, he's almost done preaching one of the greatest sermons ever preached, or at least ever recorded, the Sermon on the Mount. He's summing up his sermon like no preacher can, because he has authority, right? No one ever spoke like Jesus. Jesus spoke with authority. And he's really starting right here his invitation. When preaching a sermon, there are two words that I guarantee you, if I say them, every head will pop up. You know what those two words are? In conclusion. When you say in conclusion, everybody's head pops up. Oh, we're getting ready to do the invitation song. If you've drifted and he says the word, the preacher says the words in conclusion, your head's going to pop up, you're going to wake up. I actually heard a sermon one time where every point began with in conclusion. That was the name of the sermon. And I've often thought, wow, everybody paid attention the entire time to that sermon. That's a good, it's a good way to do it, right? Jesus does better than that, which you would expect. He uses just one word, therefore, to throw our mind back over everything that he's just taught in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is not a list of Proverbs, right? But it's very different than most of the sermons that we preach. It's different because essentially he's got the authority to make new rule. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, you've heard this, but I say this. And... He's going over multiple points, and now he's going to sum them up. What does he start out with? In the Sermon on the Mount, he starts out with the Beatitudes, right? Attitudes that we are to have, ways to be in a state of contentment, right? And to understand certain ways of being, uh, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. In fact, I could preach dozens of sermons just off of the Sermon on the Mount. But in that, in the Beatitudes, he warns that we will be persecuted. He talks about us being the salt of the earth, but not to lose our savor. Don't lose our purpose, right? He talks about that. He says we're to be lights for the world. He talks about the fact that he's fulfilling the law. He increases the strength of the commandments. He says, you've heard, don't kill, right? Well, don't even be angry with your brother without cause. You've heard, don't commit adultery. Don't even lust after a woman or you've committed adultery in your heart. He talks about conflict resolution. He talks about divorce and marriage. He talks about taking oaths and how we are not to swear by God or by heaven because we can't control those things. 
He says, don't just pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. He's laying down some difficult command. How hard is it for you to set aside your enemies and what they've done to you and pray for them? Is it is it hard? It's hard for me. How much harder is it to love them on top of that? Pretty hard, right? It's difficult to love your enemies, but that's what he commands. He talks about giving. He talks about praying. He warns about not being a hypocrite. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about storing up treasures in heaven, right? And not to store up treasures on earth where everything rusts or it's easy to steal. He talks about not worrying about tomorrow, what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. He says instead to seek first the kingdom of God. He talks about judging and how we're to first look after our own sin and our own life and to judge ourselves before we start judging others. Work on ourselves, work on our sins. And he talks about the goodness of God and his rewarding of those that do his commandments. And then he says, therefore, he's covered all of that ground. And then he says, therefore, let me sum it up for you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It requires empathy on our part. That is understanding where people are coming from and and feeling empathy for them, feeling for them and wanting them to have the hope that's in us. And it requires sympathy on our part. It requires us to care about the pain and suffering of others. And therefore, we need to apply the golden rule. And that's what I want to get into the meat this last few minutes of our discussion today. I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 12. And really starting in verse 1. What's going on here in Jeremiah 12? Well, Jeremiah says this, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee, yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. But thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter, and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long shall the land mourn, and the herbs of every field wither, for the wickedness of them that dwell therein? The beasts are consumed, and the birds, because they said, He shall not see our last end. Jeremiah is asking a question that people have asked before, right? We've looked at it, too, before in past sermons. We looked at Asaph, asked this question, Why do the wicked prosper? Psalm uh, 73. Verse 3, Habakkuk asked it in Habakkuk 1, 13. Uh, Psalm 37 asked this question. Malachi asked this question. Why did the wicked prosper? And you know what God never says? He never says, yeah, you're right. The wicked are prospering. It's okay to go hurt them or take, you know, that's okay. That's not what God answers, right? Look at how God answers Jeremiah in verse 5. Jeremiah 12 and verse 5. If thou hast run with the footman, 
and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if the land of peace wherein thou treadest, thou wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of the Jordan? Now you're going to say, what does this have to do with the golden rule? It has this to do. What he's saying is, if you run with the footman, the footman is the man who is there as you are going to the battle. He is carrying your weapons and your armor so that when you get to the battle, you'll be fresh. And he's saying, God is answering him. You're tired. You're complaining. You're asking me about my judgments. You've run with the footmen and you're tired. How are you going to do battle? And he says, and at a time of peace, what are you going to do when there's floods and turmoil and, and war? What are you going to do when it gets tough? You've had it easy and you're complaining and you're tired. Now it's going to get tough. And what are you going to do? That's God's answer to him. Now God answers it in different ways. To Asaph, he says, look, I'm, I'm just, I make things right. I do. That's not for your concern, right? But here he says, if you've run with the footman. And so that's where I want to take that concept from as we apply it to the golden rule. And we say, look, let's apply the golden rule first to the church as we're running with the footman, as we are with each other to help each other along our path to heaven. Let's not wear each other out, right? Let's work on the golden rule with each other first. Let's practice it in the church. And I think that this church does that. I think you guys have, have made me and my family feel so welcome. You have encouraged us every time we are here. You have built us up. And I thank you so much for it. But it's still something that we can all concentrate on and think about when it comes to elders. Now, I realize the Church of White Oak doesn't currently have elders. But this applies also to just leaders in the church. Let's apply the golden rule when it comes to leaders in the church. The church is perfect. It is perfect in conception. It is perfect in structure. It is perfect in doctrine. But it is made up of imperfect people, right? And we need to bear with one another. We need to understand that the leaders in the church are trying to do what's right for the congregation. And we need to treat them as we would want to be treated. Otherwise, you will find yourself without leaders because they will not want to take on that burden and that responsibility. I've been around the church long enough to know that elders and leaders in the church have to sometimes deal with very difficult things. And we look at Mark chapter 8, right? In Mark chapter 8, what has just happened is Jesus has fed 4,000. Starting in verse 1, he has fed 4,000. And then right after that, he gets in a boat and he goes across to another way. And he's already fed 5,000 before this. And when he gets over there, in Mark uh, chapter 8 and verse uh, 10, it says, And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmathia. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. 
he has just fed 4,000 people. And now they are approaching him saying, give us a sign from heaven. What's Jesus' reaction to it? What would be your reaction to it? Jesus, in verse 12, says, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. Why do people sigh? (sighs) They sigh if the preacher's going on too long, they might sigh, I suppose. But usually they sigh if they're disappointed, if they're sad, if they're frustrated, if they're just exhausted, they're going to sigh. That's what I think Jesus is like here. I just fed 4,000 and you're demanding a sign from heaven, right? We need to make sure that we don't cause the leaders in the church to have to sigh because of our actions or inactions towards them. This rule also applies to preachers, but since I'm a preacher and I'm up here preaching, I won't spend too much time on it. But other than to say this, don't have preachers for lunch. Don't dissect what the preacher said in a negative way. Don't say, well, I like that preacher, but he preaches too long or or he stutters too much or he says, oh, 15 times and I can't stand that or he bothers me. Don't dissect the preacher to your, your family, your friends, certainly not those outside of the church. And also allow them to preach the entire counsel of God. Preachers have to be able to preach difficult subjects. We didn't write them. God made these rules. God wrote the Bible, right? But we have to deliver them. We have to preach the entire counsel of God. We have to talk about marriage, divorce, remarriage. We have to talk about modesty. We have to talk about homosexuality. To talk about drinking. We have to talk about smoking. We have to talk about dance. We have to talk about these things, right? Because they're moral issues that have to be dealt with. Treat the preachers in the same way. And then finally, we need to preach, we need to practice the golden rule with each other. This applies to people getting into cliques, right? And not really allowing other people. I've heard people say, well, I don't really fit in at the church. Just nobody wants to talk to me. Nobody wants to include me. Uh, they all have their friends, and it's just really hard to get it. We should not be like that, right? We need to reach out and be there for all the brothers and sisters in the church. And also call them out when things are, are not going the way they should. Paul did that to Barnabas and Peter. He did it in love, but he did it when they were showing discrimination towards the, the non-Jews. We have to bear one another's burdens. We have to be there when people are grieving, weeping, struggling. We have to be there for each other. We have to practice the golden rule. The same is true of gossip. We ought not to gossip, of course, but gossip is one of those sins. It slips out quickly, and it can't be put back in again, right? James talks about the tongue. James 3.5 talks about it's hard to control the tongue, right? So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And that's how gossip is. And a lot of problems in our world would disappear if we talked to each other instead of about each other, right? You need to apply the golden rule to our lives in working with the church. And then once we've run with the footmen and we're ready for battle, we need to apply the golden rule in our lives as we go out into the world where it's going to be really difficult. As we go out into the battle, we've got to apply it at work. We've got to apply it 
to our families and our extended families. And we've got to apply the golden rule to the lost. Just quickly, I'll sum up some of this. But at work, we've got to treat our bosses as we would want to be treated if we were a boss. And if we are a boss, we've got to treat our employees as we would want to be treated if we were employees. In our families, this can be difficult with our spouses. I'm, I'm guilty of this. If any of you want to hear a, a list of it, you just talk to Christy after, after this sermon. But it's easy to uh, take our families for granted, right? And not treat them with love and respect. And instead just kind of unload on them and, and not keep the golden rule in mind. But we have to do that with our, our spouses, with our extended family, with our children. We, we're not to provoke them to wrath, but train them in the way that they should go. And then finally, as we've been talking about in Romans chapter 1, Paul being a bond servant, being a servant of Christ because of what God and Christ did for us, we owe a debt as well. We've got to go seek and save the lost, keeping the golden rule in mind. I've seen people go after the lost and just try to beat them over the head with things, right? Is that how the Bible teaches us to seek and save the lost? Or does it say preaching the truth in love, right? We've got to preach the truth in love. We don't compromise on the truth. If we do, it stays the truth. We've just compromised, but the truth remains what it is. It's that objective standard that we talked about at the beginning of the lesson. But the lost are in such a state that they are hopeless without the gospel. And as those of us who are saved, we want to reach out as the golden rule. We want to teach others about Christ. We want them to go to heaven. We want them to be saved. And this morning, today, if any of you are in a lost state this morning, I would encourage you, don't leave here lost. Yes, I'm sure everybody's starting to get hungry for lunch. I'm sure everybody has plans this afternoon. But I can tell you this, everybody here would rather you come forward and make it right and delay our plans just a little bit because of the golden rule. We want you to be saved. We don't want you to leave here lost. And the same is true if you have obeyed the gospel, but you've fallen away. All of us would like nothing more than for you to make that right. We will rejoice with you if you repent and confess, and we will pray with you and for you. If either one of those is the case for you this morning, please make it right. Please don't leave here lost. Come forward right now as we stand and as we sing. Who at the door?